Welcome back to our annual chat podcast. Mm-hmm. I am Amanda. I'm Benjamin. And uh, I'm a filmmaker and Ben's a writer mm-hmm. and film critic. And film critic. And we're here to discuss, uh, really to share with you our chats about film that are originally were just between the two of us, but we're, we want to throw them out there. You think they're worthy of being recorded. And... Uh, they're not always new films. They might be old films or a mixture of old films and new films. Mm-hmm. And also television. Uh, On occasion, yeah. yeah. Got to deal with peak TV. And uh, we'll, see where, we'll see what we come up with. Mm-hmm. So today, actually it's night, so tonight, we're going to talk about uh, Terrence Malick. Yeah. The great, in some ways, the great enigma of um, modern cinema. And... The sort, of, the, the sort of plot, plotless, mm-hmm. but mainstream. Yeah, he's one of those guys where you're sort of amazed that he actually gets to make movies at all. Yeah. You know, because his films are so... Um, they're not plotless, but, but they're just, mm-hmm. they're not, they're not tight, not as tightly wound mm-hmm. as uh, a lot of stuff that we see on TV and mm-hmm. the usual sort of like hit movies. I guess, like, the place to start for me with Malik is that um, it's, I guess, you know, what we're really going to discuss here is mostly Tree of Life. Yeah. I suppose. And then a little bit, we'll talk about Badlands a little yeah. bit because that's his first picture. Right. But. Um, and we were going to discuss Midsummer, Ari Aster's new film. Mm. We're going to. I wanted to discuss Midsummer up against <laughs> Tree of Life, but it was a, there was a trigger warning uh, <laughs> for me. For Ben. Yeah, I don't watch movies about suicide, so. Yeah, and it uh, was not difficult, not an easy part of the film to, to yeah. get through. Apologies. But you yeah. also wouldn't watch The Thin Red Line. Uh, yeah, no, I don't want to so. watch these heavy war movies. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's understandable. But I think, like, you know, even Tree of Life is enough for a full uh, oh, conversation, yeah. I think. Yeah, there's a lot there's a lot going on in there yeah. and uh, and I watched Badlands mm-hmm. and um, but you know more of his repertoire, repertoire than I know. Yeah, I mean, um, I've seen I haven't seen all of his his films, but I've seen all of his films up to uh, to The Wonder and um, I haven't seen his more recent ones. Um, but for me, what I find really interesting about Malik is that he went away for a long time. Okay. He well, made two films yeah. in, in the seventies, Badlands and Days of Heaven. Yeah. Both of which are now were almost immediately acclaimed as masterpieces. Mm-hmm. And then he just drops out of the movies for twenty years, basically, and doesn't come back until I think nineteen ninety something, early nineteen nineties. What was he doing? Did, did um, nobody is quite sure, <laughs> but, uh, he's kind of, he was kind of like Stanley Kubrick in the sense that he really avoided publicity. Right. And, um, for a long time, nobody knew what he looked like, mm. you know, uh, he never, never gave interviews, never appeared in, uh, in public, uh, you know, um, in any sort of like media capacity. Right. And, uh, apparently he, he just spent a lot of time like wandering around and reading philosophy and. Chilling out, you know. Was he was he an artist? Or did, he, did he do a visual art? Or Apparently, he was writing scripts okay. during that time. One of which was the Thin Red Line. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, the story is that uh, Martin Sheen, who of course plays the right. magnificent performance, oh wow, yeah, <laughs> as, as the lead in Badlands. Yeah. Um, he was like sometime in the eighties. He was walking with Malik in Paris, mm-hmm. and like some guy came up to him and he was like, "Oh, hey, Martin Sheen," and started talking to him, and Malik just 
kept walking. Like, oh so, my God. and when Martin Sheen caught up to him, he was like, he was like, he was like, what was that all about? And, and Malik just looked at him and went, he said, you know, Marty, there's a lot more to life than just making movies. Oh, wow. <laughs> so yeah. maybe that was it. Like he just wanted to do something else for a while. Who knows? Well, I mean, I think it's fair to avoid the, the circus that, that goes around mm. um, being a filmmaker. It's not, it's, it doesn't have to be a public figure profession. Yeah. Um, I think that was a big yeah. part of it. I don't actually think actors need to be public figures either, but mm. somehow they get tossed in there. Yeah. Well, celebrity is celebrity, you know. Well, not every, but not every actor becomes a celebrity. There's something that's true. Something that's reserved for a few mm. uh, people that either are chasing it or somehow it just mm. happens for them and they can't really. Uh, and then the odd thing is that Terrence Malick has become a celebrity director, right? Such as to the extent that directors become right. celebrities anymore. Sure. You know, Tarantino is really the only one. You know, right. but um, Malick has become a, a a celebrity by not being a celebrity. And there's all kinds of people who there are like Malick sightings, you know, stuff oh, like that. It's like, yeah. oh my God, we saw Terrence Malick at a film festival, which means like so some guy with a beard was like walking through the lobby of a hotel. <laughs> they were like, oh my God, it's Malick, you know, and they put it up on the web. Right. Um, so he's created a mystique about himself that's really interesting. Okay. Um, but I really want to get your take on like with, especially with Tree of Life. Right. Like, what do you think he was trying? He's trying to get at with that very unique style he has. That kind of slow, dreamlike, languid, almost stream of consciousness kind of uh, style. I he think has. he was trying to get in, get into, the way that we perceive the real, like the world, mm. and not just that, but reality and the way that ta- time, I guess, passage of time, mm. and the layers of memories with, past memories and current memories, and just. Like our our brain kind of passes through different thoughts and it and our thoughts are always like all over the place mm-hmm. and they they interact with what's happening in real time and mm. it's not it's not, it's not the way that cinema pre- what, what what cinema presents is something that's so tightly wound as I mentioned but the phrase I mentioned before but mm-hmm. it's it's that this plot is so specific that what's going to happen is so it's so neatly packed in and labeled mm-hmm. and it's not doesn't really represent actually like the language and the sub- the consciousness of, of the way our, our minds work yeah and i think i think that he was trying to access some of that and then using the visual language like using that almost like as a gateway into your mm-hmm. um to kind of like get into the recesses of your of your brain so there's a kind of associative quality to it yeah 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 like you'll be going down like you know you think the way our minds often will be thinking about something and then some detail or some mm-hmm. side thing will suddenly grab our attention and we'll go off on a totally different road. Right. And then do the same thing and things right. interlock in but, that way. But even the way the family was interacting, like it's not mm. like there's like a there's like a silent, there's a lot of silence and it's because you're not necessarily in a scripted dialogue with your family members all the time. Mm-hmm. They're kind of like, they're kind of like in your periphery. Yeah. Right. Like people are like around you in the house and and you can sort of hear muffles of them or yes you know, yeah i think I, I know what you mean and like we're gonna see like a slice of them or like just like their face for a second of their hand or like mm-hmm. or going in and out of a door but it's not tightly wound into like a scenario yeah there's no structure con- to it yeah there's so. no structure there's no, there's no there's no like climax and like conflict Yes, that's happening. What you mean? And and in yeah. a in a hour to hour basis, it's disjointed in a strange way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he was 
building building the reality vis-a-vis these um i guess an ordinary family in yeah sense. well i was thinking of the shots particularly like the way that he shot them and ordered them and everything mm. but he was building some kind of uh uh it's not really an alternate reality i think he's actually trying to get closer to mm. what it really is there's a kind of an oddly architectural quality very much to yeah. his films they're yeah. not beginning middle and end they're more like building one story on top of another mm-hmm. and then when all they're all completed there's both the makings the interior if you like of the building itself right. and then there's the building as a total that you can kind of almost stand back from and look at right which i think is the only way really to appreciate tree of life is to step back from it and see it as a kind of totality there was know? something there's something about it though that's like very pleasant to watch like it's like you want to let the images just wash over you mm. it's it's a, yes i mean but i'm also like a a visualist and a visual yes. artist to some degree also. Yeah, your I, style actually often reminds me a bit of Malik. Well, yeah, I mean, thank you. I appreciate that. But the, I don't shoot like that all the time, but there are certain, mm. certain, t- certain, I've had certain inclinations to that sort of thing. Mm. I like I like the topic of lack of communication mm. generally and, and just like the disjointed yeah. parts of life. But um, the, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, the, the thing I didn't understand so much was what happened with Sean Penn um, mm-hmm. And that scenario, do you, you want to mind explaining? Um, I'm not sure it ever was fully explained, but okay. he's clearly kind of the brother who's in mourning, you know, and okay. has never really gotten over his younger brother's death. He's Malik, essentially. Right. Most of the uh, material with the family in that film is uh, autobiographical. Mm. Um, and I think that the Sean Penn character is basically Malik. Malik's brother killed himself. Mm. Um, now, his brother actually went to Spain to study with a, an amazing guitarist named Segovia. Mm. And um, I suppose the stress and whatever else had happened to him in his life, uh, right. he couldn't take it. And I think that Malik probably never really got over it. And I think right. the Sean Penn character never really gets over it. Right. But perhaps when he appears at the end, that surreal sequence where everyone's on the beach, right. maybe at that moment he reaches a kind of uh, epiphany, a kind of redemption, yeah. you know. But I'm not sure really it was spelled out exactly where he, uh, okay. where he sort of stood. Okay, so then, then I wasn't like totally uh, no, 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 no. off on that. <laughs> There's loose ends in that picture, no yeah. doubt about it. Yeah. And I think like I think also that this brings into another aspect of Malik's method. Right. Is that there was apparently hours and hours in footage of the Champagne character. Okay. Whole scenes wow. that were just completely cut out of the picture. Yeah. So it may be that, you know, in the original assembly or whatever right. that that his story was much more fleshed out and much more fully uh, I guess it was more realized, more important you know? to to see what happened in the process of his youth, yes. of his coming into adulthood rather than yes. just being an adult and looking back on it mm-hmm. unless I mean it's a whole different story to be like how the childhood affected his adulthood yes like how those memories and how yes. that, that sort of um, the upbringing that he had which really wasn't bad by any means it just was not really what he needed with the, with the yeah and but, a very, very difficult father, I don't think there's any doubt, you know. Very traditional. Very, yeah. And speaking of which, right. I think it, it really must be said, when we mentioned Martin Sheen right. earlier, um, Brad Pitt is magnificent in the film. Yeah, he's really good. He's astounding. I mean, really almost a revelation. And I think yeah. the, one of the reasons for that right. is that Malick actually makes him ugly. Which I think was, no, 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 which I think was really intentional. Like, he right. took the handsomest man in Hollywood right. and did everything humanly possible in terms of lighting and his use of camera angles I and mean, stuff to make him look, look like an ordinary. Man. I don't, exactly, yeah, to make yeah. him look ordinary, yeah. Yeah, 
I mean, I don't think he looks ugly by any means, but <laughs> he, um, no, I'm, I mean, I'm exaggerating yeah. as a, you know, no, he has to look like an, like a, like a typical father, mm-hmm. you know, in tech, te- are they in Texas? Yes, I think so. The, um, just somebody that, that you recognize mm-hmm. from the neighborhood who's, you know, growing into middle age. Right. But the, um, yeah, I mean, the, the thing, the thing with Jessica Chastain that, I noticed this in Who Bad- plays the mother? Yeah, yeah. Chastain. Chastain. That I that I um noticed in Badlands is that first of all they're both redhead redheads. Oh, sissy specific. And, yeah, uh, yeah. So I don't know if that's a malice. <laughs> it could uh, be tendency. Oh, I think one of the uh, in the thin red line, one of the wives of the uh, soldiers is a redhead as oh, well. Okay. Actually, yeah. is that somebody in his family? Maybe or an ex girlfriend. <laughs> could be very easily. Yeah. I don't know. But um. Yeah, so but but she's definitely portrayed in a very mythological, like a like a like a, an uber feminine, mm. like myth like the myth of the mother. Oh, she's the Virgin Mary, essentially. Yeah, and, and just like she's like a she's like kind of like a like nymph in, in the backyard of her house with like the laundry sort on of the ethereal lines. Ethereal. Yeah, very ethereal. Not really yeah. very real, until there are moments when like maybe she's gonna maybe contain her husband or mm. try to stop him, and then the, the she doesn't, and then the kid calls her on it. Mm. I mean, I don't think she had much of a choice with that kind of a ma- masculine persona in the house. Yeah. But um, the uh, not that I thought, not that I felt that he was super abusive necessarily, but he just definitely wasn't the type that would have taken. He was just domineering. Yeah, and, wouldn't uh, have taken the second and... second backseat to his wife. <laughs> but the um, I just I I I felt with the mother, she is obviously totally idealized. Yeah. You know, um, but. Uh, in a way that brings us into the religious aspects of Malik's pictures. Yeah. I think especially the Tree of Life, which is, this is my take. I think it's right. clearly a Christian allegory. Okay. And it becomes it, a yeah, little too Christian. explicit yeah. when she's sort of, she's on the beach and she goes, I give you my son. And like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, holds out her arms with like white light. Yeah. Coming out of them, you know, but uh, it's interesting to see a filmmaker. The only other filmmaker I can think of who deals so directly with religion today is Scorsese. Okay. Like in silence, for example. But his is very like much about the almost the institution of the of the church, like mm-hmm. almost like the you know the institution, the gang, the mob, the family. It's like there's yeah, there's like a, almost like a the social structures. Yeah, yeah, it's like in Europe, kind of you have like the Vatican, the royal mm-hmm. family, and then um, what's it, I guess the third part of it, I guess village. Village Royals, the Vatican. third estate, and all that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I found like um, though with Malik, yeah. there's a reverential quality to Tree of Life, and I think particularly in the whole sequence where it becomes the creation of the universe. Yeah, you know, they're, oh, yeah. and they're, they're even playing part of the Requiem Mass over that yeah, yeah, sequence, yeah. which I know you weren't a huge fan of that sequence. Yeah, well, well, well it, it has a little bit of a two thousand one space odyssey feeling. You thought it. he was trying to. Uh... Well, he was trying to evoke that language that's happening there, that mm. that like subconscious layering of images to to send, mm-hmm. give them send the message across, but the images themselves were not like they felt like stock images to me. They didn't actually feel like really. Yeah, I thought they were gorgeous. No, they. <laughs> I'm gonna get. Like, no, no, no. Thankfully, no. like no one's listening to this podcast, but like. They, <laughs> But well, let's say that. But they, they didn't feel they didn't feel like organic images. Hmm. Yeah. It was the same special effects director as right. two thousand one. Well, not the same. It was Trumbull. Director. No, to say the least, no. 
No, but I, I mean, feel like all directors yeah. though who try and do Our that director. style. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. I think Kubrick just sort of ruined it for them all. Yeah. You know? No, no, it's like the most incredible, um, basically like art installation piece of all time. <laughs> I know. I, I feel like any director who makes a science fiction picture right. or has science fiction elements who isn't trying to make Star Wars mm-hmm. inevitably comes across as seeming like a kind of pale reflection of yeah. Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> you know. No, there's just but, like uh, I just I just get so excited because when I think about when you know when he's going when he's off going to another planet you know the other dimension mm-hmm. and and the colors are changing on the landscape. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm just thinking like. <laughs> Did they study color theory? Like, you know, did, did they, sure did they did. put that into a special sequence of patterns? Because it, your yeah. brain is actually like, recognize. Mm-hmm. I felt like my brain was recognizing something. Mm. I can tell you though what, something without me under, knowing. I can tell you though what grabbed me with that yeah. sequence, um, yeah. in, in, in Tree of Life was that. For example, when they had the scenes of the volcanoes exploding, yeah. and they had the scenes of the, um, you know, the sort of primitive jellyfish, the first sort of first form of life yeah. emerging in the oceans, and I really felt there was a tangible quality to that right. that almost gave you a feeling like you were there, like right. you were really watching the okay. earth take shape, mm. you know, and it was like you could almost reach into the screen and touch it, and it was like maybe that's the problem. Maybe I felt like I felt too much like I was observing it, mm-hmm. and not enough that I was it. Experiencing it. like it felt almost you know I mean I felt like I was watching was a it through glass there? yeah like that is a complaint about Malik's pictures in general actually okay. is that they're too painterly they're too mm. distant ironically it's a criticism of Kubrick as well yeah but um, that with Malik that there's a distance there that's yeah. hard to relate to sometimes well yeah Kubrick gets a little these characters aren't that warm mm. and they're not they're mm. not that colloquial either yeah but yeah. I don't agree because I think, in, not with Kubrick, with, with Malik, right. that in Tree of Life, I think actually the, uh, um, there's, there's, warmth isn't the right word, but there's great emotion, there's great uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. compassion for all the characters, right. you know? I don't think there has to, there, there only needs to be one way of, of, of accessing authenticity and emotion anyways. I think, I think mm. that everyone can sort of find their own gateway. It doesn't have to be just realism. Yeah, or like some type of. Yeah, something that's super, super human and recognizable looking. Mm. It could be something else. You, you, you could, you, it could be, it's okay to also work, work to look for it a little bit, I think. Yeah. But, um. What's your take on, I'm sorry, I don't know. What's your, your view of the way, it's not so much in Badlands, but certainly in Tree of Life and Mm -hmm. and a bunch of his other films as well. Um, large sections of the picture are essentially dialogueless. And there's enormous use of the voiceover narration. Yeah. More than any other director that I can think of. Right. What do you think the, that is? What do you think the reason for it is? And what do you think the effect is that you think maybe Malik is going for? I mean, I don't think... I Personally, I don't like too much voiceover. Mm-hmm. But I guess... I don't want to prepared. But, uh, Sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. <laughs> I'm just trying to think... It it just goes back to the same thing. I, I he wants, he wants you to access, the film in a different way than mm. just a scripted. You know, you're watching talking heads yeah. go at it back and forth, like he wants you to. He wants you to take a step back and see like what happened. You know, he wants you to be in the be a fly in the wall in the family or like another mm-hmm. character in the family. At the same mm-hmm. time, he wants you to be like the Sean Penn character looking back on it, mm-hmm. and. 
you know, deciding like what's going on here. I mean, like with the, with the little boy, like the thoughts in his head, all that mm. kind of voiceover. I mean, that's also part of like understanding the way his psychology is getting built. Like, mm. cause like the father will say something that's, that's difficult or that's, you know, strict or, st- or harsh. Mm-hmm. And then the boy will, the boy will respond in a way that's, that meets the father's needs. Right. But then it backfires into his brain mm. when he's, so we know what he's really thinking. Not necessarily what he's really thinking, but the way at least he's reacting to it. And when we hear him say those words in his head, then we un- we understand. I mean, we see that happen a few times. Oh, we understand how the psych- how his psychology is being built. Mm. So by the time we get to the end, we're like, oh yeah, well now we know why that kid became, you know, lost con- emotional control or yeah. you know or or felt very unloved or mm. so became so, Sean Penn essentially. Yeah. Sean Penn so like yeah. we can we can. We don't even have to. We don't have to see him sit, sitting in therapy and having a talking talk talking session in therapy. Talk, you know, yeah. talk, whatever, because we've already uh, accessed the process of his. Uh, so in a way, it's almost thinking. like um, the, or at least the basic idea is almost like in the silent films where they could just put a title up, right, and say, you know, Mary's actually thinking about. You know, this, that, yeah. and the other. Like, uh, you know, so he can just do the voiceover and say, you know. Right, but it's more real because we know what it's like to have those thoughts radiating in our heads right mm-hmm. after something difficult happens mm-hmm. and you're not able to con- confront it or lash back out with it, with, yeah. with, with the response. But it's also super interesting to see, like, him being like, yes, sir, yes, sir, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But then the darkness on the other side of it. Well, when, he, when he's tempted to kick the... Uh, the uh, uh, oh, yeah. thing out from underneath the car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crush his father with the car. Yeah. I mean, that the tension in that scene is palpable. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's, 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 I think another thing that Malik's trying to get at. Right. Um, he actually said this in one of the very few interviews he ever did. And he said it about Badlands, which is that he's always trying to fight against nostalgia. He's trying to give you an immediate experience of okay. the time. That's, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I think you definitely see that. I suppose we can switch over to talking about Badlands mm. a little bit if you want. Mm. But I think, you know, you have that image. Badlands is set in sort of the 1950s. He could have people like in American graffiti running around in hot rods and like, you know, uh, uh, burger joints and uh, right. all the rest of that stuff. Right. And instead he presents you with a very uh, bleak sort of... Um, Mm-hmm. Uh, a sense of the sort of the emptiness of the land, mm-hmm. you know, and the quietness of the people, you know, which can suddenly erupt into violence of one sort or another. You right. Know? Um, and I think that's their in Tree of Life as well, which is set most of it in the same time period. Right. You know, his whole yeah, youth is in the nineteen fifties. So. Yeah. The um. Well, so let, let's cross. Let's let's leave Tree of Life alone for one mm-hmm. second. Let's cross over into Badlands. Yeah. Because. Um, I saw that on the big screen once, by the oh, way, wow. at the Cinematheque, and yeah. it is incredible on the big screen. Actually, I would like to see that. I actually, I saw it first yeah. on DVD, and I was like, yeah, yeah. this movie's all right. And then I yeah. saw it on the big screen, and I was like, okay, I get it now. I, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? I understand. Well, so, you know, you could sort of see him already playing with these themes of what, the extreme minimalism mm. of the shooting style. Mm. Um, it's not a ornamental it's not an ornament like an ornamental minimalism mm-hmm. it's like it's not it's not a showy like look how 
perfectly composed this picture is. Yeah. It's just kind of like exists in like such a simple and low key mm. way. It's and almost like haiku. Yeah. It has that quality. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was that that was very um it, I guess it makes sense with his personality based on what you mentioned that yeah. before. But um I mean, Martin Sheen is like this James Dean character. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the one, one thing that was striking to me that I thought was interesting was that the young... I guess it happens in the movie sometimes, but that the young guy that picks up the girl... Like, the young guy is like the psychopath and the father is like the sensitive artist. Mm-hmm. Like, that, yeah. was, that was like an interest. Yeah. That was a weird twist mm-hmm. that I didn't expect. Yeah, because with the star-crossed yeah. lovers, you're yeah. always supposed to be rooting for the star-crossed lovers. Right. And this one, in fact, yeah. you know, one of the star-crossed lovers is Muhammad Sadomaniac. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the other one just kind of goes along with it because she doesn't have much better to do. Right. Yeah, so it's, you're right. It's a great sort of flip of the, of the other, there's like the other side of the coin there. Yeah, so that, that was interesting to me. And then also like wondering if she would, was going to realize that he was like, he was like this socio, whatever, sociopathic, psychopathic mm. individual. I mean, he was never really bad to her. So it would, right. So he showed a lot of actually like, it seemed quite a bit of empathy or well, one one would could argue that those types of characters are very good at yeah. faking faking interest in people that they want to keep around. Yeah, with. it's true. It's true. But it it uh, that was that struck out. He's he's incredible in this part, Martin Sheen. Mm, um, yeah, it is one of the great underplayed roles of all time. I think. Yeah, I mean, also I was thinking of Apocalypse Now. Yes. And and just yeah. some of the things that Coppola Coppola's probably. It was always odd to me that. that she, yeah. Martin Sheen never became a bigger movie star. He always kind of, he's he's did a lot of TV. He always kind of bounced around in character parts. Right. But I, I think it's odd, particularly when he was young. He right. really has that movie star look. Yeah. I'm surprised that really the only big he movie that he made. Asian. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Well, you know, he is Hispanic completely. Right. His real name is like Ramon Estevez. No, I know, but he, but I, but he, has something in his face looks a little Asian. Mm. He yeah. he just. Uh, yeah. Really, the only two big movies he did were Badlands and Apocalypse Now. Right. You know, I never understood why he didn't become a bigger star, really. But maybe... I don't know who maybe was the experience in those uh, years. Maybe the experience on Apocalypse Now made him shy. Oh, know, yeah. We, we spoke about that, like, yeah. <laughs> that uh, he was, uh, his hands were tied behind his back for that one. Mm-hmm. Um, but the... Uh, yeah, I mean, Sissy Space, she, she, she is very good in this part. Um, and she's also so young looking. She's she looks like she's ten years old. Mm-hmm. The um, I don't think she was much more than that. It made the picture. No, she. Oh yeah. I think she was eighteen, nineteen. Yeah. Oh okay. Well, that's substantial. Yeah. Yeah. Because she's. Yeah. I no, I think I she's twenty five. No, I don't think so. No. Because I think she was eighteen or nineteen when she played Carrie. Oh. And Carrie. <laughs> hazards of some cars honking hazards of the city bothering back, us back when um, uh, I think yeah. she did Carrie first and she was like 18 or 19 then so I think she yeah. was like 20, 21 yeah so. I think she was in her mid-20s mid actually I think mm, was could be but she's just she's just very very young looking mm. um, I mean anything else about like I guess style wise I, I, Badlands is his most conventional picture yeah if you can call it that yeah 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 mm. for sure I, it was still very riveting. I thought it was actually a good balance of, mm. you know, um, a quieter way of filmmaking with a real storyline. 
what blew me away, there's this one shot in that movie where um, uh, Martin Sheen has the, has the rifle slung over his shoulders. Mm-hmm. And there's a moon. It's still daytime, but there's like a beautiful white moon mm-hmm. uh, in one corner of the frame. Right. You know, and it's just this, this is gorgeous, gorgeous shot. Like, yeah, you, yeah, just, yeah, you can yeah. just like that. wallow in it. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> and I mean, the movie, it's interesting because it was a very but low he doesn't, budget. But he doesn't sit in the shots, though. That's the thing. He doesn't mm. like, he doesn't show them off yeah. too much. Yeah. Yeah. They're not just to be beautiful for the sake of it. Yeah. yeah. It's easy as a filmmaker to be like, look at the pretty shot. <laughs> you know, like, look what I managed to conjure from the, from the film gods. Mm. Like. <laughs> I know that uh, it was, it's interesting, though, yeah. because it's a very visually sumptuous picture yeah. made on an extremely low budget. That movie cost less than a million dollars. Oh, wow. And it was actually one of the first true sort of independent films you know, it was financed completely outside the system. Yeah. And done entirely on, um, I can't remember, I think it's a negative pickup deal is what it's called. Okay. Where um, essentially they sold it to a studio and the studio gave them, you know, all the money back that they'd spent. You oh, know, okay. But uh, they went and hawked for something like $900,000 to make that picture. Right. And yet it looks like um, a much, much bigger budget yeah, film it does. than that. Yeah, it know? does. The way it evokes Also, some of the special and, effects, I mean, they had, they, 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 they Turned over a couple of vintage cars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's burned the house down. Yeah, they they did a bunch of uh, yeah pretty uh, intense things. Mm-hmm. When, when when like the vintage like police car or whatever would turn over, I was like, oh shit! Like, <laughs> I, like, I actually I don't not that I care, I should care, but I was I maybe I guess you know if I were a producer on that film, it would right? be a problem. <laughs> yeah, like you can't get those cars back again. Um, Anything else you want to say about the about the tree of life, or Malik? I I have to say, and it's it's some comes from from my experience of seeing it. Yeah. When I saw it, I saw it in the theater, and I, about a quarter of the audience walked out oh. at some point in the film. It's long. Yeah. yeah, and I think they were just bored mm. and they couldn't understand the style. And I went out afterwards, and half the people I was with were like, "Oh, that was the worst movie I've ever seen in my entire life. It was so boring and pretentious." Right. And then like. The other half were just like, wow, that was amazing, you know, the rest of it, you mm-hmm. know. And um, I just, I just uh, uh, had this feeling of really being beautifully hypnotized by the picture. I was hypnotized by it. I, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I didn't see it on the big screen yet, but I definitely was like, you know, perched on the couch, not mm-hmm. like slumped into the couch. I, mm-hmm. I, I wanted, to, uh, I wanted to, to see what was happening. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there's a... Um, People talk about him in terms of being a poet. Right. Um, I think there's great musicality to his Definitely, pictures. Definitely, yeah. Um, but there's also something really that... I, one thing I really like about him is that there's something very dreamlike about his films. Yeah. And the logic of his films is kind of a dream logic. Mm-hmm. You know? And um, ironically enough, the, the, other, the, the other director who is the opposite of Malik in style, but who has that same quality as Hitchcock, Okay. You know, yeah. like Hitchcock also the logic of say rear the logic window, of like a nightmare. Almost. Yes, yeah. the logic of rear window or the logic of vertigo yeah. is the logic of a dream. Yeah. And in a way, Malick, all the way on the other side, because right. 
Hitchcock's very structured and controlled. Yeah. Whereas Malick on the other side being very sort of loose and elliptical. Yeah. But still has that kind of logic. Yeah. And Malick I think is, you were talking about that a bit with that associative quality. Yeah, because that that's kind of like where you're like when you take like a nap, your mind kind of you know wanders mm-hmm. like from like to there and then to here, but you're not necessarily mm-hmm. in in like that uh, heavy sleep cycle with like you have intense yes. nightmares. Right. Right. Um, yeah, it's like an edge of sleep. Yeah, twilight yeah, like exactly place. And that's actually usually when I have my best ideas. Oh yeah. Especially enough. I don't know about you, but when I'm writing something, yeah, and I like I go. Yeah, the, sorry, folks. This is a personal aside. <laughs> but when I when I'm about to fall asleep and my mind starts daydreaming a little bit, mm. you know, um, that's usually when some really good ideas will come to me, and I'll like rush to my smartphone to the note oh, app yeah. to like write you them down. Leave one by your by your bed. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. For sure. But it does have that quality because it is directed. Yes, it is. It's not by. I mean, you do feel yeah. that there's a controlling hand through the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but but he also gave the actors a lot of freedom. I mean, he. Po- mm-hmm. I mean, I, I mean, I. I mean, it's interesting to me as a director, to to have this kind of playground where you you set up, your house. You know, the house, the the actors, mm-hmm. and you have them kind of just, hang out, in the mise en scène, and and mm-hmm. the camera f- searches for them. I don't know if that's actually what he did, but it's it seemed that way for at least some of the shooting. I think that actually is a pretty accurate description of his style from what I've read. Well, I mean, well, even even that setup is very true to the nature of a kid playing, mm-hmm. you know, and and also makes it easier to explore to to shoot ideas or images or or, mm-hmm. or, or capture a few moments that you're going to be able to create. Um, you're going to be able to, to, to weave together later on in the editing room because you're, just, mm-hmm. you're letting everybody um, build a world. Well, that's another thing. And I think yeah. that this is, again, something yeah. that he has in common with Kubrick. Um, Malik spends a lot of time in the editing room. Okay. And in fact, I think Tree of Life was shot three years before it came out. But he probably spends a lot of time on set also. It seems like this one was... Um, you know, I'm not, that I don't know about. It okay. could be. Yeah. I don't think he shoots for longer than most other... I'm curious. Um, pictures that, of I should look up Tree of Life, uh, like how he how he did that. Mm. Almost, you know. I do know one of the things he does is he'll have he'll have a scene with dialogue, right. and he'll have them he'll he'll do a couple of takes of them talking, right. and he'll say now do one with without talking at all. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and he'll just have them like conveying things yeah, yeah, silently. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, I've cut out dialogue. Like I've in editing room, I've, I've I've knocked out dialogue completely. Really. Yeah. Just, Done everything with faces. And yeah, or just or just the associated image, imagery mm. sort of thing. Like, like I've played with that, mm. so I know I, I know the impulse to just knock it out and just have it wash over you. See, I think that raises the big question. Yeah. Which is how the hell does Malik get away with this? Like, how does as he as a director? I, I mean, how does yeah. he still continue to make films like this in an industry that hates have, films like this? He has to have some <laughs> European. I guess you're a foreign. And foreign probably them. yeah probably but yeah, I mean to Hollywood. see a film like Tree of Life yeah come out at all right you know in today's cinema world yeah you know is pretty incredible how did, he, how did he choose Brad Pitt for that role do you know I don't know I don't know because I'm, w- I'm wondering if he was searching for something that was really different than what he did before or if he was on his mind already mm. It may have been in some ways mercenary because when you get someone like Brad Pitt, you get more money. Oh, that's true too. You know, you yeah. legitimize the project. You know? Right. Um, it's like a good gateway. Which is not in any way to say that Brad Pitt isn't great in the movie. No, no, no. But, but it's. I mean, he's he's. If he wants to keep acting into into later years, I guess he turns into sort of character, turns himself into more of a character. Character roles. 
or or lead lead roles that have more of a, of a character edge than mm. than sort of a just pure superhero you know her, heroic. Kind of going the uh, Robert Redford sort of route. Well, he looks like Robert Redford's kid. <laughs> like, didn't he play Robert Redford's kid? I think so, yeah. Some movie? I, think, I, I feel like exactly that was one of his early movies. I feel like he played Robert Redford's kid. Yeah, it's or, like the Immaculate Conception Or maybe, child. I think it was a film directed by Robert Redford <laughs> where, where he's clearly the stand-in for Robert Redford. Yeah. So Robert Redford's like, okay, I'm too old to play this part, so I'll cast a guy who looks exactly like me. It's, it's <laughs> Um, yeah. More as they get older, more as he gets older, not not as not as much of the newer younger. You think so? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think I yeah. think Pitt. Um, I think there also may have been an appeal to the idea of playing with Pitt's image as a movie yeah, star. Yeah, that's true. It's nice to kind of overturn mm-hmm. their what they normally have. Yeah, cast against type. You know? Yeah. Um, but I think the other thing has to be mentioned is Jessica Chastain. That movie made yeah. her career. Oh, that's right. She was totally unknown before really? that picture. I yeah. didn't know that. Oh yeah. Yeah, I I don't I'm not sure where he found her, but I think she was a stage actress. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, she's has a huge charisma. I feel like she won an award for that, but I can't maybe a con. Okay. I can't remember exactly. Um, but she yeah, he essentially made her. Oh, okay. You know. Um, in the same way that I, I think in a lot of ways he made Martin Sheen. Well, this is why know. this is why it's so important to champion directors and and artists in general that are not they're on the outskirts of the industry because mm. because they are seeing things without the filter and without the pressure. Mm. You know, like they're they are they're, they're they're like look you know what I mean? It's just They see things outside of Hollywood, out of the side of the bubble. Yeah, or or they're just they're just not they don't have to succumb to any kind of um already packaged situation. You know, mm. they can they can look at an actor and be like Oh, this one. This one has this quality, but nobody else is picking up on it. Mm-hmm. But if that person doesn't get it, doesn't get a chance, you know, to play around. And then not not only does he does he get to cast against type or or pick out who unknowns or whatever, but mm-hmm. he also gets to shoot them in a way that's so structurally unconventional. Yeah, yeah. So it's like that's how you mine it. That's how you mine it out of a person too, mm. because if he had to if he had to cast against type and then squeeze them into another box, you know, another conventional boxy narrative yeah it would be almost it would it might not have actually worked with those actors like it might have been mm-hmm. too you know it's like the process yeah brings out the result well i've never made a film I mean, so i don't weird, quite you know, what I mean? okay. know what you mean but i think i, I think like, what you're the, you're saying that the style that he uses right the actual um, unconventional way of film of filming it mm-hmm you know creating can bring an unconventional actor into can bring a can bring a or a very conventional actor into an unconventional space the way he did with Brad Pitt yeah like because that actor might not know how to break his habits or Mm. but if you're you're pulling him through like a a different thing and then Mm -hmm. the result he has more this person has more time um, to play into a different zone and and pull you know Mm. but that's you know, I mean, I guess there, I guess you know, some actors are very, very versatile and can just keep flipping and yeah. switching. But if you're, I guess, if you're playing a certain type of role over and over and over again, you're, it'll be difficult. Yeah, I feel like that uh, Tarantino also does that a lot with older actors. Yeah, yeah, he's well, he resurrected John Travolta. Yeah, exactly, yeah. and and by presenting him in a totally different way while remaining right. conscious of his image from the past, right? But also, yeah, he doesn't erase their, he doesn't erase their their general charismatic right. 
aspects. Whereas I feel like Malik does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Malik right. really breaks down that yeah. charisma to a kind of um, ordinariness kind of, almost. I kind of know? like with it, that Tarantino, like it's it's kind of amazing that he's able to both preserve it and build something totally different. Mm. That's not that's not easy. No, that's true. But I think that may come from the fact that Tarantino probably knows every movie ever made right, that, right, in the right. whole history of cinema. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so he can kind of yeah. work work from every angle, you know. Yeah. Whereas Malick, what's very interesting is that yeah. from what I understand, almost all of Malick's interests lie outside of cinema. Yeah. Um, you know, he's translated works by Heidegger. He's like okay. he's got a degree in philosophy from. Yeah. He taught philosophy at the Sorbonne or something yeah. like that. Oh yeah. Um, well, I, I was. It's funny. I have a lot in common with him. Oh really? Well, well I studied intellectual history. So ah, it was like a history yeah, of philosophy. There you go. It's funny. Um, I didn't go in. I didn't. I didn't last. I didn't last. I didn't, only studied it for a few years, but mm-hmm. it's uh, a different I, way of uh, thinking. I think it's very interesting to have a filmmaker. Yeah. There's very, I feel like there's very few filmmakers nowadays who have experience right. and knowledge of areas outside of cinema. You know? Yeah, well, well, usually, if you're look, there's a point where you're trying to make money. I mean, you, like, sure. like, you know, you want to get hired, and I mean, I also would like to get hired, mm-hmm. and, and also just, also for learning purposes, too, not just, right. but you know, you're, you're making, you know, significant money if you get hired onto a television show or something like mm-hmm. that. So if you're not, if you're okay with, you know, uh, building a, building up your piggy bank in a different way and then mm-hmm. just becoming a filmmaker separate from that, and yeah. that then you're not um, locked into that. That world. Yeah. Yeah, there is an outsider uh, art kind of quality to Malik. Yeah. It's yeah. a choice. You have to make the choice. Mm-hmm. You know, it, are you going to go and jump into the, you know, the mm-hmm. thick of it or are you going to sort of stay on the outside and try to... I, but it's very hard to get the attention of, of top-level talent, not just in front of the camera, but behind the camera, mm. if you're not in the game yeah. 24-7. Yeah. So, especially, well, he is especially actually, as a woman, I mean, forget it. He is actually a graduate of the AFI. Oh, so okay. There you go. Well, you could follow in his footsteps. It could be. Yeah. <laughs> All right, but, well, anything um, else we want to uh, Yeah, well, tackle? we're waiting for your next uh, elliptical script. <laughs> Yeah, maybe, we'll see how that have goes. Like an, like an elliptical gangster script. I've got two in the works, actually. Yeah. Well, you have a gangster script, but yes. maybe maybe it could be chopped up. It's my, it's the um, <laughs> that script is my it's yeah. my baby. All right. I I pray that someday somehow I will see it right. on the big yeah. screen. You never know. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us. We hope we've amused you, maybe. enlightened you a little bit. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye. <laughs>